This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Starting Strength Online Coaching. For the past two years, I've been working with Starting Strength Coach Matt Reynolds with my barbell training. In those two years, I've gained 40 pounds, at the same time losing an inch on my waist, and I've gotten significantly stronger in all the big lifts, squat, deadlift, bench press, shoulder press. And it's fantastic. I credit all that progress to that moment I started working with an online coach with Matt. You too can experience as well. If you've plateaued in your barbell training or your strength training, or you're, you're wanting to get started with it, but you don't know what to do, you need to check out Starting Strength Online Coaching. Here's how it works. You'll be assigned a certified starting strength coach, and they will give you programs specific to you. This is not just some cookie cutter program they're going to throw at you. They're going to adjust things based on your goals, on your needs. Not only do they give you the training programming, they also give you diet programming. They're going to set your macros based on your goals if you want to get big and strong or you want to lose some body fat. And with the lifts, every workout, you're going to send them uh, videos of your lifts so they can give you feedback on your form and critique you so you can stay safe and uh, make sure you're doing the lifts effectively. This is concierge white glove online coaching. It's not just something where they're just going to throw a program at you. They are working with you one-on-one. If you want to try this out, go to aom.is slash starting strength. You can see a page there with all the results that I've had, my, my PRs I've made since working with Matt. And if you use code AOM podcast at checkout, you're going to save $50 on registration. So check this out. If you want to start getting stronger, if you want to get in shape, highly recommend them. It's changed my life. aom.is slash starting strength, code AOM podcast to save $50 on registration. <laughs> Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, we're often told violence is never the answer, but my guest today would argue that not only is that idea wrong, it's also extremely dangerous. He says that sometimes violence is the answer, and when it is, it's the only answer. His name is Tim Larkin. He's a self-defense expert and the creator of Target Focus Training. Tim has trained military, law enforcement, and civilians on how to use violence to protect themselves. And in his latest book, When Violence is the Answer, Tim makes the convincing case that civilians need to change their mindset about violence if they want to protect themselves and their family. Today on the show, Tim and I discuss what he means by violence and why violence is often the only possible response to violence. He then goes into detail about the difference between antisocial aggression and asocial violence and how to respond to both. We then discuss why good people should study criminals on how to use violence more effectively. And we end our conversation by exploring how knowing how to kill and maim people can counterintuitively make you a more peaceful and gentle man. Really fascinating show. After the show is over, check out the show notes at awim.is violence. All right, Tim Larkin, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. Man, so it's been a few years. I think it was 2015 we had you on talk about what you do, your self-defense stuff that you talk about. You got a new book out where you've basically taken what you've been doing for the past several decades and and synthesized it. And, And the title is awesome, When Violence is the Answer. Learning how to do what it takes when your life is at stake. So we're often told that, you know, violence is never the answer. But right here in the title of your book, you're saying, no, sometimes violence is the answer. So when is violence the answer? Well, it's the, it's the question nobody likes to talk about. And I think that's why, that's, that's why the title of the book. And I actually, believe it or not, I had to fight for that title. And, you know, my publisher was good enough to finally realize, you know, that that's a, it's a very relevant title. That's how uncomfortable people are with even the word violence. The, the idea behind the book is we, we talk and we're very well versed on when violence isn't the answer. We've gone almost overboard on that aspect of it. And the illusion that's out there is that violence is never the answer. And so the idea was, you know, by doing that, the very people that need the tool of violence the most have just self-selected out of even looking at the subject, thinking that it's, you know, somehow will make them criminal. 
And so the goal of the book is to, you know, not, not even get to the training aspect. I do talk a little bit about that, but it's really like, how, how do we think about the subject and why is it so taboo and, you know, where can we actually learn good information? Yeah, that, I, I thought was interesting. I mean, you, there's just a, like, a, like a chapter or two about specific tactics, but like most of it is just an argument for regular good people to be comfortable with violence. Yeah, that's the biggest change. The, the physical training aspect is actually fairly easy for, for me to, to get through to people. The hardest aspect and the ability to, to use that physical training correctly is going to absolutely fail you if you don't have the correct understanding of the tool and correct, you know, mindset to use it. And, you know, it's that, you know, like the current Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, has that saying, you know, to his Marines that he first wants them to engage the brain before they engage the enemy. And, you know, the idea behind that is I have to set, you know, we're talking about you know, real violence. We're talking about criminal violence. We're talking about asocial, devoid of choice violence. And in order to understand that correctly, you have to wrap your head around, you know, what you think violence is versus what society tells you it is, the media tells you it is, entertainment tells you it is. Right. So let's get into that, 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 like what violence is, because I mean, I thought there's an interesting point you make in the book, you know, that it, sort of hitting on our discomfort with violence is that, you know, people will sign up for self-defense classes, but they want self-defense in a way where they actually don't have to do violence, right? They, 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 they want like, what can I do to like, you know, protect myself, but not actually have to do something bad. Right. And, and that goes to the core of the whole misunderstanding of, of what's talking about, you know, um, Another guy, uh, a friend of mine in the industry, Tony Blauer, talks about a time he was on an airplane. And, you know, if you're in this business, you get this question all the time. And I thought his answer was, was perfect. You know, the, answer, the, the question was, oh, gee, I, you know, you teach, they find out you teach self-defense, you know, and, and they say, oh, I've always wanted to learn self-defense. And Tony was a little irritated that day, been a long day, he was flying back. And he looked at the woman and he just said, no, you don't. And she's, you know, kind of was taken back. She goes, no, no, I did. He goes, no, no, you don't want to learn how to do this. Cause if you did, you'd already know how to do this and you would have been training all these years. Now, what you want is you want to learn how can I live a life that avoids the possibility of me having to use self-defense. And with that, I can give you a lot of information. And so that's really what most of us want. You know, it, it would be crazy for us to think that we want to go out there and actually, you know, test ourselves or, or look for this. And that's, that's the real difference between, you know, uh, you know, violence and, you know, people that survive violence don't brag about it. They don't, uh, they certainly don't want to seek it again. The example that I always give is the idea of, you know, uh, people swim, you know, swimming. I, I usually, you know, in my class, I'll ask people, I'll say, hey, how many people here know how to swim? And just about every hand will come up. And I'll say, how many of you have ever had to swim for your life? And there'll usually be a few hands, including myself, leaving their hands up. And I said, okay, of you people that have had to swim for your life, would you ever want to experience that again? And nobody has their hand up at that point. And that's what violence is. You know, violence is that black swan event that, you know, just like if you are, you know, in the water and you don't know how to swim, you got nothing in the toolbox. You're in, you're in you know, a horrible situation. Same thing with violence. If we have nothing in the toolbox and society has got us to the point today where the people that need it most, meaning good law-abiding citizens, you know, most of us have nothing in the toolbox when it comes to dealing with real violence. Well, so let's talk about like, what do you mean by violence? Because I think that was probably the most 
the foundational chapter of all this is that difference between uh, social aggression and asocial violence. Because I think what most people, they're, when they take a self-defense class, they're preparing for social aggression. But you're saying, no, like you need to prepare for actual violence. So what is the difference between aggression and violence? So it comes down to communication. Everything that we want to respond to, that oftentimes we imagine we need to respond to, usually falls in the realm of social aggression. I'm fascinated when I see training out there, and I have a lot of guys in the industry, and a lot of the training revolves around social aggression, which is a fast track to jail time. Um, you know, they literally will teach things like, hey, here's what you do in a bar fight. Hey, here's what you do, you know, when somebody knocks into you. Hey, here's, you know, all these things that are eminently avoidable that you can use your social skills to get out of, you know, the, the, the aggression versus that rare occasion when you would actually, the only tool available to you would be violence. And that's when you're devoid of choice. The way we define it is I am devoid of choice, meaning if I had an exit, I would have taken it by now. If there was a way for me to talk my way out of this, I would have done that. Communication is stopped. I am facing imminent grievous bodily harm. If I do not use violence to protect myself, I am basically participating in my own murder. And that's that, that uncomfortable time where people, you know, recognize it, you know, and, and, and a way to understand it. When you see like a lot of these, uh, these shootings that you're seeing, you know, people are realizing that, oh my God, you know, this is happening and they're having to take action. And most people don't know what to do in situations like that. And they've had no skill training. And a lot of what's really interesting to me is even in the professional world, they will give you an excellent training up the scale for social aggression. And then when it gets to asocial violence, where say it's a law enforcement and his life is on the line or a soldier and, and you know, he's facing you know, imminent bodily harm by the enemy, the training, when it comes to the physical training, self-defense, whatever you call it, they at that point say, do whatever it takes. And they just send you on your way. You know, there's, there's no specific information. And that's, that's what I find is just amazing, you know, is, is that you know, that's when you need the most specific information. That's when you need to understand how to go after the human body, how to take it out, how to actually injure it. But the threshold to use this information is that of in the event that we're talking about, if you had a firearm, you would be comfortable deploying that firearm and emptying it into the threat. That's the, 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 the level here. So that eliminates probably 99.9% .9 of most of the social aggression stuff that we think we need to respond to. You know, we're talking about all the unpleasant interactions that you can have with people, you know, road rage incidences, incidences in social settings like, you know, uh, nightclubs and bars or restaurants on the street, you know, anything that you could walk away from if you chose to walk away from it could, could happen, you know, and, and, and it should happen. And that's what I go in the book in depth about, you know, the idea of what do you actually have to respond to? If there's communication still going on, then it's not the time. If you have to ask yourself, hey, is this the time? Should I punch this guy? Should I do, you know, some, some of the crazy questions that I get. If you have to ask yourself whether or not it's the time to use violence, it's probably not the time to use violence. All right. So violence is, let's get some definitions clear. Violence is imminent, like death or severe bodily harm. Or in the case, rape is another one too, where you could use violence. Yes. Right. Yes. If you don't, if you don't, basically, if you don't take action, meaning if you don't try to protect yourself using the tool of violence in the situation I'm talking about, you're basically participating in your own murder, meaning this is going to happen. This, this violence is imminent, you know, and, and it's devoid of communication. That's, that's the big thing, meaning there's no communication. 
I gave the example, I've given the example a couple of times of situations where you, it initially starts out and it's say a robbery and, and the person is, 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 you know, communicating in an, you know, an unpleasant way, but basically communicating with the guys that are robbing him, giving, giving, uh, over, you know, all the, the watches, the wallets, everything that's asked for. And, uh, you know, the people go away. There's an incident in London that I talked about that uh, kind of highlights this whole thing. And the young lawyer did all that. Two guys held him up against a tree with knives and robbed him. And he complied, gave them everything, and they left. And he used his social tools in that unpleasant situation to basically negotiate a favorable response where they left and he started walking away. Everybody loves that part of the story because it falls into the realm of, you know, what we're told to do by law enforcement, you know, don't resist, don't do this, don't, you know, antagonize. And that's fine. Problem was the second part of the story. They came back. The second time when they came back, their heads were down, their knives were drawn. They rushed in and just started stabbing him immediately until they killed him. He was heard screaming, hey, why, why, why? I gave you everything. I gave you everything. What I want people to understand is the difference between those two scenarios. There's one scenario at the beginning where you possibly could use social, you know, you possibly could, you know, use social to talk your way out. The second one where there is no communication, it is pure action and it's imminent and there's no escape. The only thing that would work is the tool of violence. And if you have nothing in your toolbox at that stage of the game, you know, you're going to be just, you know, just, just an easy target. Right. And so the tool of violence is basically you, you have to be able to kill or bodily maim, like seriously bodily injure that person. Not just like some, you know, a submission move or like a thing, like you have to inflict severe damage to this person. Well, what we're talking about, we're talking about injury to the human body. It's very specific. We are, you know, our bodies are, are all similar in, in the fact that we all have areas of the human body that can't take trauma, meaning, you know, physics and physiology meeting badly, a hard part of you with body weight behind it, going through an area of the other guy's human body that's not rated for that type of traffic. And so when we talk about injury to the human body, we're talking about breaking the structure of the human body, or we're talking about breaking a sensory system of the human body. You know, things like broken joints, you know, destroyed eyeballs, crushed throats, you know, something as mundane as, as breaking the top of the foot, anything that, that elicits a level of trauma that creates what we call a spinal reflex reaction. And that means it's a reaction that takes the brain, basically captures the brain and takes the brain out of the equation, meaning the trauma is so much, is, is so great on the body that the spine gives the, re, that gives the uh, feedback to the body to pull away from it. And we've all experienced it. When you touch, say, a hot surface, your hand automatically comes off that surface. Your brain isn't engaged in that. You don't realize that you've touched a hot surface until after it, your limb has already been removed from that. And that's to protect you. And what we do is we use that, infor that information of how the body tries to protect itself to actually destroy itself. We flip it upside down and we use the fact of, uh, you know, these spinal reflex uh, reactions to trauma to basically take the brain out of the equation. Because the most dangerous thing that you and I ever face with another human being is an active brain. You know, as long as his brain can, as long as he can think and move, he can do damage to us. As soon as we take his brain out of the equation and we do that through injury and injury is something that all of us are capable of. We are all capable of, of delivering injury to the human body. We're not all capable of competing in combat sports. 
But, you know, that's the great thing about violence is the tool of violence is available to everybody and it works on everybody. And that's, that's the education process. Right. So let's go back to this, the, the social aggression aspect of this, or like, d- d- trying to figure out the difference between social aggression and asocial violence. So you mentioned communication is one thing, right? If they're communicating with you, it's, you know, it's probably social aggression, but are there any other signs that someone, you know, how can you tell if someone's asocially violent? Is it just, besides just like, they're not talking to you? Well, it, it's, it's really, it's really the, the cues. It's not really when somebody's asocial, the, the way we highlight asocials in our, our training, in our training, we basically have no, no communication, meaning there's no talking when they're out in the mats, when my, my clients are out in the mats training, there's no music, there's no social interaction, meaning, you know, you don't help each other up, you don't do any of the social things that are out there. You'll see this in a lot of other like combat sport gyms and you know, martial arts facilities, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, you know, my goal for training people is to get them to trigger on a social and the thing that saved my clients lives across the board and across all the demographics that I've trained is their triggering and understanding that, Oh, this just went a social. And what that is, is it's getting used to training in a non-communication communication environment, you know, uh, in a, in an environment devoid of social communication. And it's just, a, it's a, it's, it's just a, a recognition system. Everybody understands it. We've all done it before. We've all walked into situations where all of a sudden our nonverbal cues are, are hitting us all the time. We call it intuition. Sometimes it's dismissed. Sometimes, you know, people think it's, uh, you know, uh, esoteric, but it's not. We have nonverbal uh, warning systems that are inherent in our, in our physiology that are designed to protect us, you know, and just, you know, things where, you know, you, people say, hey, the hair on the back of my neck is standing, my stomach feels queasy. These are all, this is your body screaming out saying, hey, there's something wrong here. There's, I'm picking up something that's wrong here and you need to pay attention to this. And one thing you also highlight in the book that's useful for just good regular folks to watch are videos or films of asocial violence going down. Because what they'll be surprised by is that there's no yelling, there's no screaming, there's no that that war face you talk about in the book. It's just quiet and there's just like an intent and it's done fast. Well, that's, if you watch violence across the board, real violence, you'll just understand. Like if you, you, you watch, say, uh, you know, animals, you know, predator animals, when they're in there, when it's two predator animals of the same species in a territorial situation, it's loud. They're making all sorts of gestures towards each other. They're knocking into each other, not really trying to injure each other. They're just trying to run each other off the land. It's usually a, an alpha type of situation. If you watch that same predator going after prey, they're usually in a low crouch, super silent, just waiting for the right time. And when they strike, they strike fast and silently and just, you know, get into it right away. That's exactly how asocial violence goes down with, with, with people. And that's, you know, the difference. The difference is your, you know, one person oftentimes is trying to communicate. And it's usually the person that ends up being the victim is trying to communicate with the predator who is merely just taking action and getting right into violence and getting into the work right away. And when you watch acts of violence, there's a lot that can be learned, but most people watch them incorrectly. How do, so how do they watch them incorrectly? They'll usually empathize with the victim and they'll usually try to look at a situation and they'll look at, you know, because uh, oftentimes it'll be a criminal act of violence and oftentimes it'll be the criminal that is successful using the tool of violence. And so oftentimes people will look at it and say, well, 
the victim could have done this or the victim could have done that. And well, maybe you could get your way out of this or you could have dodged this punch or you could have, you know, X, Y, or Z. And that's the exact wrong way to look at it when you're looking at the tool of violence. When you look at the tool of violence, you want to inoculate yourself to always identify with the winning side of violence. You want to train your brain to look at an act of violence and say, okay, at what point did it start to work for this person the person that ultimately won what happened usually what you're going to find is you're going to find there's going to be an exchange and at one point one person injured the other and normally right after that injury they piled on on those injuries and were you know ended up being the victor now the hard part for us seeing socialized you know humans is that we you know we tend to identify with the story and so i often have people watch the video with no sound in it whatsoever they just watch the physical acts of the video which normally makes it a lot easier for them to see they go up oh, there's the point yep okay now what are you doing you're training your brain to always identify with the successful use of the tool you're not training yourself to look at the tool being used at you and trying to figure out how to un you know you know you know block your way to success and, and it's dramatic. And where it really became relevant was when you look at alpha predators and you show them acts of violence. You know, we're talking about the worst of the worst in the prison systems. They'll look at an act of violence. They never identify with a victim. It's, it just never happens. They, they always identify with the winning side. And if anything, they'll be critical of the winning side. They'll say, okay, he did this, this, and this, and yeah, it worked. But I would have done, if they're going to say, if they're going to, do anything they're going to improve on the results the individual got with violence they're going to say i actually would have done it this way whereas well-meaning people would say would try to do that with the victim say well i would have you know blocked the, the punch here i would have grabbed him here or maybe i would have done this or that they won't look at it that way they'll look at it from the successful use and then how could i improve upon the successful use of that tool and what that does is your brain says, oh, okay, this is what you want me to do. You always want me to look for options. You always want me to look for potential injuries. You always want me, if this situation comes about, my job is to immediately start looking for opportunities for you. That's what you're telling me to do. And you don't want that. You, you want the only option to be inflict injury on this other person. But that's what you're training yourself to do by watching video right. correctly. I mean, right. if you watch from the successful side all the time, you know, the people that are successfully using the violence. So, you know, uh, act, an act of violence goes down. And I'll usually find really challenging ones where it's, it's pretty bad. And I'll have people sit there and I'll have them watch it there. And I'll say, okay, why did that work? Or, you know, and as soon as people start going from the victim side, well, she could have done X, Y, or Z. I said, nope. What happened? He goes, and then somebody will say, oh, okay. He stepped through, he used his body weight, he hit her to the side of the neck and she went to the ground and that's when he started stomping her. Now that's really hard for us to deal with as, as uh, you know, citizens. But what we're doing is I can't learn anything, I can't undo this. All I can do is protect my brain from making sure that it gets the right information. The right information is not trying to, you know, figure out how the victim could have not got struck and hit. We have to find out, okay, what works? And, and you know, that's, that's the difference because what makes us, what most people do when they see a bigger, faster, stronger threat, a bigger, faster, stronger individual, and most, you know, if we're going to face a predator, usually that's what we're going to be facing, somebody who's bigger, faster, and stronger than us. If we focus on all those differences rather than the similarities, meaning, oh, my God, this guy's so much bigger than me, rather than, oh, there's his throat or, you know, oh, there's his knee 
there's his, you know, there's the side of his neck. There's, you know, it, once we start realizing all the similarities and the options that we have, areas of the human body that this individual can't protect, you know, that's when you start making the change. And that, that's when violence starts becoming, you know, universally available to everybody. It's just whoever gets the injury first. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Finding a dress shirt that fits can be a big pain in the rear. Usually the neck doesn't fit right. It's too too big or too tight. If you get the neck right, maybe the shirt's just too billowy or the collars or the sleeves are too billowy. And if you get the sleeves right, the neck's too tight. It's just a big pain. So the best solution is to get a made-to-measure shirt. But you're thinking, Brett, this cost me a ton of money to get a custom-made shirt, not with proper cloth. Thanks to propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions, no tape measure required. Required. Seriously, I've done this before. I went through the process. I answered these 10 questions and then proper cloth sent me a nice Oxford button down shirt, white button down shirt that fit me like a glove. And I didn't have to even bust out a tape measure to do this. Plus proper cloth. Besides giving the custom fit, you have 500 fabric styles to choose from, including premium Italian and Japanese fabrics, as well as business and casual styles, all starting at just $85. And best of all, proper cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they'll remake it for free. No wonder Proper Cloth is the highest rated custom shirt maker on Google. And even GQ calls them their favorite online custom shirt maker. This is the future of shirts, people. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash manliness today and enter code manliness to save $20 on your first shirt. Propercloth.com slash manliness, code manliness, save $20 on your first shirt. Do it today. Also by ZipRecruiter. Are you a small business owner who's hiring or are you a hiring manager at a corporation who's hiring? If so, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Finding great talent can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people for your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, over 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com manliness. That's ZipRecruiter.com manliness. One more time, try it for free, ZipRecruiter.com manliness. And now back to the show. Right. And going back to this, you know, how thoughtful these, some of these criminals are about violence. Uh, you mentioned like the Mexican mafia <laughs> has this reading list for new recruits that I thought was surprisingly heady. So what are some of the things that the Mexican mafia has their, their guys read? Well, there's a really, there's a really great video that's at a, it's an interview with one of the, uh, the, the heads of the Mexican mafia that uh, was, was debriefed by law enforcement and they shared the video with me and he goes over the education portion and the books that I'm about to talk about, this literally is probably 80% of these books are books that I read as a young special warfare intelligence officer at the JFK center at a course that I was at, uh, in, in Fort Bragg. And, you know, it was Machiavelli's the Prince. It was the 48 laws of power. It was psychology and abnormal psychology. It was what was the other book they had? Uh, forgot they had one. They had one other one other book that was you know very much a special warfare book you know type type book that they had, and that was that was great. The consistent book that they had that our first responders and our military people weren't reading were books on anatomy. And it's interesting. He says this. He goes. He goes. Oh yeah. He said we have to know anatomy because we have to know how to kill. 
violence is our currency. That's how we derive our power. That's how we control things. That's how we are able to make money. Everything derives from the successful use of the tool of violence. And you have to know anatomy in order to be successful. And that's absolutely true. Meaning the, the reason these guys are worth looking at, not in, it's really, it's a road that you have to be very careful with because it can seem if you soundbite this information, it can seem like you're somehow promoting these guys are somehow thinking they're great people. They're not. But often the best information comes from the worst people. And what he is saying is we can't afford to get it wrong. When we use the tool of violence, it's a very specific use of the tool. And that's the other thing that I learned by you know studying with the law enforcement officials that I did and really going in depth and realizing that for them, violence is currency. And there's nothing random about its use. We as society think, oh, you know, we think these prisoners are crazy and there's all these random acts of violence going on. Everything has to be condoned. Everything has to be approved for the most part. If you just go off on your own and, and uh, violently attack somebody, you could have serious repercussions for doing that because you're going to affect the business of the prison. The business of the prison is to make money for these gangs and they control acts of violence. So when they set up an act of violence, they have to be successful. It may have taken them six months to set that up, and therefore they can't afford to get it wrong. So they need to know, okay, we've got the shanks, we've got, we've got all this information. Where do we put it to get the maximum amount of damage in the minimum amount of time? Because we don't want the prison SWAT team, the CERT team, to respond in time to save this guy. And so they need to know exactly where to stab people, exactly where to hit people, exactly where to you know, open them up so that they, they die. And it's very interesting. It has nothing to do with opinion. It has all to do with results. And they're very, very methodical about it. You, I, there were less, there, the fascinating thing was letters that I was seeing that were decoded of one prison gang member sending to his cousin who was coming into prison for the first time. He sent an, a letter that if you and I read it, it would seem very much like a family member sending us a, hey, good luck, you know, uh, letter. And, oh, here's a little bit of information about the family. When it was decoded, it basically was telling him exactly how to create, we you know, make weapons, where you can make weapons in the prison, where to attack people, you know, specific targets of the human body of where to attack people and how to make sure that you do it efficiently and effectively each and every time. You know, it was very, very specific information. And um, the reason they do that is because these guys can't afford to get it wrong. And that's why it's worth looking at how they look at the tool because they look at it very different than we look at it. We try to sanitize everything that we do. And we try to make a, a, an approach that's a very indirect approach oftentimes because, you know, we're trying to be good people. And that, you know, and unfortunately, if we meet up against one of these predators who uses a much more direct approach and direct methods, we're so far behind the power curve that, you know, we're going to probably not come out on the right side of it. Right. And going back to social aggression. So, you know, most self-defense methods out there, or people often confuse sport martial art with self-defense, they're going to use that in social aggression because they think that they're, they're being threatened, that they're going to have bodily harm. So they use those tactics, but what ends up happening is it often elevates it to possible asocial violence. Yeah, well, when, when we look at the, the world of combat sports, you know, I, I live in Vegas and I'm surrounded by some of the top UFC competitors. A lot of these guys are friends of mine. I love combat sports. I grew up with it, you know. And, but the only way you can make, you know, you, you can gamify violence is to take out injury to the human body. 
And so if you want to find out how to be effective in a life or death situation, all you need to do is look at the rules in any of the combat sports. And the last time I looked at the UFC, there are 31 rules. 28 of them revolved around injuring the human body that they were taking out. And the reason being is because that's not the goal of a combat sport application. The combat sport application is to pit skill against skill, these amazing athletes that go at it. But if you allow injury to the human body, you can bypass it right away. Um, you, you know, all of a sudden what happens if a guy, you know, accidentally rolls up and breaks another guy's ankle in an MMA fight, you know, it's over right away. And everybody's all, you know, upset because, hey, the fighter can't go on. And, you know, it wasn't intentional, but it was an injury to the human body. And so those are all the telltale signs. When, when you see things like that happen in a combat sport environment, that's the learning curve. That's where you sit there and say, oh, hey, wait a minute. I had two, two highly trained guys that were completely committed, trained for at least a 10-week training camp for this, were in amazing shape. And all of a sudden, something just happened that this guy who had all the will in the world to, to keep going can't keep going, regardless of his resolve. He's got an injury to the human body. And that's what these prisoners understand at a much more base level. They want to go right to the direct injury. They want to go right to the thing that shuts down the athleticism, that shuts down the brain's ability to think, the guy's ability to respond. And, and that's by breaking a structure or sensory system of the human body. Right. So if you are faced with a social aggression situation, right, there's, you know, the ch- I mean, I, I think men probably encounter this more often with each other, the shoving, the, the name calling, the chest puffing up and the yelling and shouting what should uh your response be well you just walk yourself through the scenario okay so i'll give you three scenarios first one i walked into the bar this guy came by and he you know he knocked into me and he told me my wife was fat i went over i slammed him on the side of the neck i grabbed his head i gouged his eye out your honor (laughs) second scenario i'm going to the Whole Foods parking lot. I've been waiting for a parking, you know, a parking spot for the last couple of minutes. I go to go take it when the guy backs out. Small little Mercedes comes in, grabs a spot. Guy's a real jerk, gets out, flips me off. I run over there. I throw him down, kick him. I stomp him on the neck, and then I gouge his eye out, your honor. Third scenario. I was at my office when he came through the door with the firearm. He shot two of my coworkers. His gun jammed. I noticed that he went down for a reload. I tackled him. The first thing I saw was his eye and I was able to use my thumb and I gouged his eye out and I stopped him from continuing to shoot anybody else. Officer. Now, I did three scenarios there. We knew the first two were crazy and the reason I ended both of those with your honor is because you're going to end up, if you're lucky, in front of a judge for something like that. And there's no way you're going to be able to justify anything like that. The last thing, you were talking to the officer, and the officer dismissed it at that point and realized it didn't go any further up up the chain because it was a justified use. So when would gouging an eye ever be acceptable? You know, it has to be there. We are not talking about a dust-up fight. We're not talking about things that are voidable that you can absolutely walk away from. 
We're talking about things when you're devoid of choice and you have to use. That's the only time. Does it meet the threshold of if I had a firearm, I would take it out and deploy it on here. Now, can you don't know. Once you cross the physical plane, you have no idea where it's going to end up. And this is where social aggression can turn into asocial violence, even though neither party intended it. You don't have the luxury of that choice because literally there's, there's, uh, you know, one of my instructors for years collected uh, collected news clippings of two guys who get into an argument. One guy pushes the other guy, he falls over, brains himself, and he's dead. Now the other guy's facing manslaughter over nothing. You know, I think I think we talked about this before on the, on the last podcast, but it's still very relevant for your your listeners to hear again. You know, you have to ask yourself the act that you're about to take, and these are things that you have to think about. And this is what the book really does. It really walks you through these scenarios to think ahead of time about this stuff. But the idea is if I do what I'm thinking of doing right now, if I participate in this three days from now, if I'm sitting in a jail cell facing charges, is this going to be worth it for me? Or if I'm six feet in the ground dead, is it worth it? Very few things pass that three-day test. And it's an education process, especially, you know, this is the art of manliness and men have a huge challenge in this because we we sometimes confuse like our locker room culture and we communicate with violence sometimes and and we have this this nebulous you know uh, uh relationship with violence at times that can get us into trouble and, and this is where we really have to do some deliberate thinking about this and and you know understand the difference between that's why i use the term violence i don't use fight i don't use any of those specific terms i don't use the term self-defense you know I, when we're talking about Self-defense is what is determined after you use an act of violence. After, after you participate in an act of violence, it is then determined whether or not it's criminal or self-defense. Any of the things coming up, any of the conflict coming up prior to that, any social aggression coming up to the point of violence is all being dealt with. Anything prior to that point where, where you actually use a tool of violence, all that can be dealt with in anger management classes and, and you know, uh, social interaction and all of those things. But when you get to that point of violence, you know, what we're talking about when violence is the answer, you have to be very specific about that information. And so you have to use correct terminology. Right. And I, th- I thought it was an interesting point you made that by knowing how to inflict violence, right, it can actually make a person more confident, more calm, more peaceful in those social aggression situations. Because they realize, like, you know, okay, I can just put my knee right there in that kneecap or I could do this. Like you, by understanding how fragile the human body is, it like makes you realize this is not worth it. Like it is totally not worth it. Yeah. Well, you, you know, one of the, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, and there's some, there's some great guys out there, you know, from, from the combat sport world, martial arts world that shared stories, you know, uh, some of them are incredibly tragic, but I'll give you one that's not, it, it could have been tragic, but it wasn't. Most of your listeners, they follow any martial arts or anybody, you know, one of the big personalities is Boz Rutten. And uh, he's a former champ, uh, UFC champ, uh, heavyweight champ. And he's a really interesting guy. He's Dutch. And he talked about a time, it was really interesting, in an interview that I heard him in, he talked about a time that he was in, I think, I believe it was Amsterdam. And he, he got baited. He got baited into going outside of a bar and fighting two guys. And he did it. And at the end of the confrontation, one guy was breathing, the other guy was out cold conscious, you know, uh, uh, unconscious. And he wasn't sure if the guy was alive. 
and he ran to his hotel room and he said he spent a terrified night in his hotel room just waiting for the police to come take him away because he thought for sure he had killed that guy. And the reason he felt the way he felt was because he realized it was all avoidable. He didn't have to participate in that. And it was just such a learning curve for him that he, he recognized I allowed myself to be baited into that. I mean, the, the reality was hitting him after the fact. And thankfully, he didn't murder that guy. And it didn't go horribly wrong. And it was over nothing. It was over just, you know, typical barroom, you know, ridiculousness that he got caught up in. And I thought it was a really honest, um, honest thing. And I, I hope most young guys could hear stuff like that because, uh, you know, it really, it really made a difference. I mean, you know, my, my situation, I've had a couple of situations that have happened where, um, you know, uh, where it's really, it's really educated me on what's worth responding to and what's not worth responding to. And, um, you know, the last, the, the one that, uh, the one that hits me that still to this day is I was a young guy and doing a lot of work in South America as an intelligence officer. Um, we were doing a lot of like back then counter narcotics type of work. It was really interesting. It was really, you know, what we thought dangerous. I get back to San Diego. It's a real, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm feeling very comfortable in San Diego. It's my hometown. So we're driving around an area where, you know, we get into a little bit of traffic. Some buddies of mine were going downtown to go to the happy hour and we get caught in a little bit of traffic and there's a guy that's behind me that somehow, and I'm talking about traffic that's just inching forward. This guy somehow thinks that I cut him off and he, you know, he starts making faces at me and doing anything and I'm laughing. I got two of my friends in the back of my Jeep and I just start making eyes to this guy through my, uh, you know, rear view mirror. And I mean, I'm incensing him. I'm like blowing him kisses. He's getting just more and more fuming, fuming. So he, he angles his car around in about like a four to five minute time frame to get in front of me, stops the car, gets out of the car. And I'm thinking, Oh, this is great. Here I am. This, you know, highly trained hand to hand combat instructor. I just got back from South America. We've been doing all this badass stuff. Uh, you know, I get to show my skills off to my boys get out of the car. I take two steps out of the car and from the back, my friend yells gun. And I realized at that point, I'm fully exposed that I'm in the, like a, you know, just a, a complete, complete fatal funnel. If the guy has the gun and I've screwed myself, I just instantly realize what I've done to myself, you know, at, at this stage of the game, turns out it wasn't a gun. Turns out it was one of those things back, back then, uh, a lot of people had things that, that, that tied up your, uh, your, your steering wheel, you know, the club. And he had one of those things. It was a metal piece of, uh, you know, uh, like a metal, metal club that he had there. And I just looked back at those guys. I said, you know, a couple expletives to my friend for being an idiot, you know, scaring, scaring me that it's a gun. I looked at it. It's a club. No big deal. I, I, I can deal with this all day. So the guy, like, is a little bit shocked that I charge him. He comes and he tries to swing the club at me. I strike the club out of his hand, grab him by the side of the neck. I do basically a 270 and I slam him on the back of his car. And I'm just about, I'm holding his neck down and I'm just about to hit him because I'm so pumped up from the fact that I thought it was a gun. And then I was mad that he was trying to hit me with a club. And I was just going to take my aggression out on this guy. I'm a young guy. I'm in my early 20s. And just as I'm about to hit him, the little girl's face is pressed up against the window. He had a four-year-old daughter in the back of his car. And she was saying, please don't hit daddy. And to this day, you know, it still hits me. 
so that was the last time I ever responded to social at that point. I got lucky. Um, it's not worth it. It just isn't worth it. And I know, you know, my passion is to teach young guys. I love teaching young guys and really getting them through this and helping them navigate through this because there's two things. There's the young guys that will get themselves in trouble. And when I say young, I'm saying anybody under 50, you know, um, we'll go headlong into something and not think. And I'm hoping that through this education process, I can get them to think about the subject. More scary for me though, are, is the other side of it, Brett, where they have to take action and they don't know what to do. They've never been taught about a social. They've never been taught about the fact that, Hey, here's the rare occasion when violence is, is the answer. And by the way, here's how to look at the subject matter. Here's how to look at the human body. Here's how to activate your brain. And, and here's how to get the most out of this because there's so much, you know, there, there's so much hero worshiping out there when it comes to the media. You know, we see like, you know, the Jason Bourne movies, we see all of these ridiculous uh, ideas of what we think you have to do to be violent. And violence is really very, very simple and straightforward to use. And, and it doesn't require great coordination. It just requires intent and knowledge. And it's a very simple skill set that all of us have access to and very few of us in the last 50 years have really looked at this and, tra and trained ourselves to do this. You know, I used the analogy of swimming before I look at this subject matter is the same. I look at teaching my kids to swim. I don't teach my kids to swim so they can be the next Michael Phelps. You know, I teach my kids to swim because I don't want them to drown. And it's the same thing with the tool of violence. Everybody should have a working knowledge of how the tool works. Yeah. And, and as you said, it, it's dead simple. And this is where you're, your target focus training comes in and you, like, that's what I love about the book. Like, I mean, it's like super simple. It's basically, you know, certain parts of the body will, inf if you hit it hard enough, inflict it with enough damage that it will, you know, have that spinal reflex thing. And you, you highlight all these stories of, of students you've had. Some were 110 pound, you know, sorority girls taking down 215 pound rapists just by using these this this target focus training thing. Yeah, well, it's not it's not tar target focus training is the, is the method. We're we're talking about we're talking truly about violence. I don't have a patent on violence. Uh, you know, we, we know like the Mexican mafia, as we were talking about earlier. You know, they understand it's anatomy. It's understanding how to you know make an you know an anatomy you know physiology and anatomy meet in a really bad way, and you know physiology and physics meet in a really bad way. And the best data that's out there comes from sports and you know sports injury data and the reason we look at sports injury data is because those are humans those are injuries that that come from humans colliding with humans and humans colliding with a planet and we can replicate those those forces you know and that's where we talk we, we really draw all our information and there's about 70 areas on the human body that get a an injury threshold that we're looking for where the brain's taken out of the equation and those 70 areas of the human body keep showing up time and time again in the data and you only need to know a small portion of those to be effective. You know, uh, that's that's the whole idea. I mean, I'm I'm living proof of that. I mean, that's you know, uh, for me, the the seminal event for me was in, I was in SEAL training. I'd been training to be a SEAL for about ten years as a, as a young kid. I was a Navy brat. I knew everything there was to 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 know about the SEAL teams. You know, I was fortunate enough to live in Navy housing in Coronado and was around a lot of SEALs. And just learned everything. Uh, went through college, got selected, got there, flew through training, was just doing great. And a couple of weeks before training, 
was over and I'd already been assigned to the SEAL team I wanted to go to. I was a young officer. I was full of myself. I was at the height of my physical abilities. I was absolutely sidetracked by an injury, a small injury, just a burst. I burst my eardrums and the semicircular canals, you know, uh, emptied out. I went into vertigo and literally instantaneously, my body just failed me. And I was, you know, my, my career ended before it even started in the SEAL teams. You know, I had to switch over to intelligence at that point. And I stayed in special warfare. But for me, injury just realized that you know, it just showed me that bigger, faster, and stronger, which I was always up until that point inculcated and thought that was that was the way to go. I realized that no, that's that's not enough because it had nothing to do with my will. It had nothing to do with, you know, my desire. My desire was through the roof. I had no control over my body when I went into vertigo. And, you know, that was true injury. And my ears just never healed correctly. So I could do, couldn't do pressurized diving uh, anymore. And that's what got me on this, this journey. You know, it was just, uh, I ended up meeting people. We ended up meeting people that started changing the way special operations looked at hand-to-hand combat. And it was all based off of injury to the human body. And, and the, pro- the problem with that is it's, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around because there's nothing rewarding you know, you know, when you, when you compete, say in jujitsu or um, any combat sport, and you better one of your opponents, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of social gratitude to that, and there's a lot of camaraderie, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of social validation and proof on that. When you use violence, there, there's nothing. I mean, when you when you see a really cool fight on TV, you know, where two guys were really going at it, and it was a great fight. That, that's, that's amazing. Then you see videotape of one guy taking a hammer and hitting another guy in the head and just, you know, continuing to hit him until he's dead. Nobody, you know, there, there's nothing, there, there's nothing rewarding about that. There's nothing to learn there. That's just an act of violence, you know, yet that tool is exactly what we need when somebody's trying to take our lives. And we need to know how to access that. And the scary part for most people isn't the fact that learning it, it's when you start to learn it, you realize you're already pre-wired and hardwired for this. We're really good. We're predators. We're, we're the top predators as a species. And what's interesting about us is we are not the biggest, fastest, and strongest. Because if we were, we wouldn't be the top species. But we have brains. And the brain is what makes us dangerous. You know. And when you train your brain correctly, then everything else is available. So you train your brain first. Your body is your, your first line of tools that you have access to. And everything else is ancillary. And once you train that way, you, you know, you physiologically you change on the way you look at things. You have a different outlook on life. It's really what you came back to talk about. I mean, the more competent I am in justified lethal force, the calmer my life is. Because I understand the threshold of when I would ever use that. And I would understand everything else that needs to be dismissed. So I'm a really friendly guy. You know, when people meet me, I'm, I'm usually, and I look, you know, I've got tattoos and I'm a big guy and I work out and, and I have all that look. I have the look of it, but I'm always engaging with people and people are often, it's often funny when I see that, you know, there are some people that'll go socially, they'll take it, they'll, they'll try to take advantage of it. They'll, you know, they'll say, oh, okay, he's, he's not, he's not scary. So I can kind of screw with him. And that's when I know I have them at that point. Because that's exactly what I want to do. I don't want to trigger anything that says, you know, I may or may not use the tool of violence. I want that available to me and I want it to be a surprise each and every time. 
you know, that I use that. So I don't want to trigger off anything that shows me as being a violent person or somebody who's, who's used there. I know it's a tool that's available to me. I know how to use it and I don't need to make people feel uncomfortable. But what's really interesting is I treat everybody that I come in contact with. If I've never met them before, I tell people it's going to, you know, it sounds kind of, you know, crazy sometimes, but you know, I treat them like they're six seconds away from a shooting spree and I don't want to be the one to trigger it. So how would you communicate with somebody like that? Well, you'd be really polite. You know, you'd engage people that way. You'd let a lot of things go. And it's just a much easier way to live, you know, when, when you do this. The problem is, is when you don't look at this subject and you don't have that, you have these irrational fears. And so oftentimes you'll do things, you'll, you'll respond aggressively out of fear. You'll think, oh, okay, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now, so I'm going to respond aggressively. And maybe that'll make the person back off. You know, and oftentimes that's the worst thing you can do. But when you really understand, okay, I understand how violence works. I understand this person's doing this for whatever reason, but hey, I still have options, so I can still deal with this socially. And, you know, he may still call me names and it may be unpleasant, but I don't need to escalate it at this stage of the game because I don't want to flip that coin. Tim, this has been a, a great conversation. I mean, I think the big takeaway from the book, like as you said, violence is simple. I think. Th- what I think you're doing with this book, and you did a good job with it, is just changing the mindset of just regular people about violence. So where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? The best place to go to learn about uh, you know, our stuff is probably uh, targetfocustraining.com. And if they, go to, if they go to the book and pre-order the book, I have a, I have a lot of free information that I'm giving. I'm giving out a 10-week course on the book where I go in-depth on all the subject matter that I couldn't cover in the book for each chapter. But that's only for people that are, that they go in pre-order and, and that's at when violence is the answer.com, the name of the book. And uh, they, they can get that. But I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share the message. I know it's a, it's a different message for people and I hope they really understand that intent of this, you know, we're with, with what we just saw in Charlotte, with what we've seen, you know, with the Pulse nightclub and all of these shootings and everything that's going on overseas right now. This is very much a topic that we're all aware of. It's the 800-pound gorilla that's in the room. And this is a real opportunity to explore it and understand it. And then probably you'll deal with the news reports in a much more, you know, effective manner in, in how you look at the subject. Because uh, you don't want it to control. You don't want to have irrational fear. And, you know, the way you get over that is by just looking at a subject and studying it. And this is a real simple, straightforward, entertaining way to do it. Awesome. Well, Tim Larkin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. My guest today was Tim Larkin. He's the author of the book, When Violence is the Answer. It comes out September 5th next week and it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. You can go there today, pre-order it, and you'll get it September 5th, the day it launches. Uh, so go do that today. It's a fantastic book. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash violence, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy this show, I've got something out of it. I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And thank you to everyone who has given us a review. We really appreciate that. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.